2: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Where there is so much to get to today. It's just overwhelming. So global surveys, eight out of ten people around the world are in favor of a vaccine passport. Right? I mean, don't you want to know if you go to a restaurant that you're safe because the people around you are safe? I want to get into this whole thing about the vaccine passports, the right-wing death cult, Nearly 8 in 10 adults across 28 countries agree that we need COVID-19 passports at 78%. And some countries are now saying, yeah, sure, you can, you know, Americans can come, well, the European Union, Americans can come as tourists, but you have to bring your proof of vaccination. Otherwise, sorry. Jan Senko is dropping by, the writer, director, producer of The Brainwashing of My Dad, her documentary. It's been nominated for Best Video in the Public Service and Activism category, and it is doing really well. And we'll be talking about, you know, just general right-wing craziness. Eight out of ten people in the world, they've, they've, they've done these surveys all over the world, and this is across 28 countries. 77% of adults across 28 countries agree that vaccine passports should be required. It ranges from 92% approval in Malaysia to uh, 58% in Poland. In the U.S., it's 71% of adults support vaccine passports for international travel, which is in line with Germany. So what's the reluctance? Well, the Republican Party does not want vaccine passports because they don't want the virus to get under control. If If Joe Biden can get the virus under control, this is why they're out there promoting, you know, I see it on my Twitter feed every day, two or three people, I'm not even sure they're people, I'm guessing a lot of them are bots, But, uh, you know, two or three will pop up with some sort of anti-vax nonsense or, you know, you need to be afraid or here look at this YouTube or whatever. And I just block these people. It's like, you know, I don't I I don't want to see it. I don't want to promote it. I don't want to respond to it. But it's out there and it's growing and it's being fed by the Republican Party and people outside the United States who want to see Biden fail, who want to have a Trump type figure back oligarchs in other countries who do not believe in democracy, who see America as a threat to democracy. And that would be countries like Saudi Arabia, Russia, Turkey. uh, You know, and increasingly now we're seeing, you know, in in Brazil and in the Philippines and obviously in North Korea, et cetera, that these folks are getting involved in our social media and pushing this idea that, oh, you don't want a vaccine in America or that's not freedom. Or what's the lay? Oh, they're gonna sew a mask on your face, <laughs> or whatever, right? Tom Tomorrow's cartoon today, and here's why it's so important. This is a story from the Los Angeles Times, from uh, today's Los Angeles Times. The headline is: uh, Scientists scramble to see why, in rare cases, even the vaccinated can get COVID nineteen. And it starts out with the story of a guy named Kerry Alexander. Kerry Alexander Washington, excuse me, his last name was Washington. He was a, a, a practicing clinical psychologist. He got vaccinated. He called up his daughter. He said, oh, look at this. I got my first Pfizer shot. A couple of weeks later, he got his second Pfizer shot, called her up, said, this is wonderful. That was on February 4th. A month after his second shot, right, you're supposed to be totally safe. A month. In fact, it was more than a month after his second shot he's short of breath. He's having a hard time climbing stairs. So he goes to his doctor and his doctor says, well, you know, your lungs, I, you know, I don't know what this is. Maybe we should test your heart. He didn't check him for coronavirus because the guy had been fully vaccinated, two Pfizer vaccines, gold standard. Sent him to a cardiologist. The cardiologist runs a whole bunch of tests and says, your heart seems okay. I don't know why you're out of breath. And then a couple of days later, he shows up, this psychologist, Mr. Kerry Alexander Washington, comes back to the hospital, to the ER, and is dying. They stick him in the ER. His blood oxygen levels are crashing. They finally test him for COVID. And oh my God, he's got a full-blown case of COVID. And it was one of these variants that can sneak past the virus. Not always, you know, in fact, very rarely. Your likelihood is you're more likely to get hit by a car in crossing a busy intersection. One of the scientists in this article is quoted as saying than getting COVID after you've been vaccinated. But still, it's possible. It happens to eight one hundredths of one percent of fully vaccinated people and one percent of them die. As of April 20th, the CDC reported 7,157 infections among the 87 million Americans who are fully vaccinated. It's very few. But of those 7,000 plus people who got COVID, after being fully vaccinated, 500 of them were hospitalized, 88 of them died. In other words, if we can't achieve herd immunity, even if we're fully vaccinated, it's possible to get sick. Now, one of the points they made, this one uh, uh, physician that they're quoting in this article in today's Los Angeles Times, he says... With infectious diseases, the more virus you get exposed to in one setting, the more likely you are to be infected. In other words, they assume that what happened to this guy was that he was probably sitting with somebody or doing a psychotherapy session with somebody or whatever who was heavily infected and was shedding virus like crazy. And he just got such an overwhelming dose of virus that his immune system, even with the vaccine, couldn't fight it off. A CDC study published last week found that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were 94% effective in preventing adults from getting sick. But at a skilled nursing home in Kentucky, 18 residents and four staff members who were all fully vaccinated became infected. Why? Because there was one employee who thought he shouldn't get a vaccine because, oh my God. And the culprit turned out to be one of these variants. So there was a second study of skilled nursing homes in Chicago. 22 possible breakthrough infections occurred among fully vaccinated persons. One person died. So what's the carry home message from this? I I realize on the right, they'd be saying, oh, so you're saying the vaccines don't work? No, the vaccines work spectacularly. The problem is even if you're vaccinated, if you're hanging out If you're sitting next to someone in a restaurant who's having a conversation and they're blowing virus all over the place and they are in that two days before they get symptomatic where they're just like super contagious and they don't know it and you don't know it, even if you're vaccinated, you could be in trouble. This is why we need herd immunity in the United States. And until we get there, really, ultimately, none of us are safe until there's herd immunity. And that's what Republicans are betting on. They are doing everything they can. This is why they don't want vaccine passports. This is why they're telling people not to get vaccinated. This is why Donald Trump hid the fact from Americans that he and Melania both got vaccinated while they were still in the White House. It's why more than half of the Republicans in the United States House of Representatives refused to answer the question, have you been vaccinated? Because they want it to be like this. They want people to be afraid to go out in public. They want the economy not to recover because they don't want Joe Biden to have a success. They don't want the Democrats to have a success. They don't want this country to work because they are convinced that if Joe Biden cannot succeed in getting the coronavirus under control, then Republicans have a chance in the polls again because Americans will say, hey, you know, yeah, Trump didn't do it. Biden didn't do it. To hell with it. I'm not even going to bother voting anymore, or I'll go for the the strongman guy. He promises he'll take care of everything, I'll just go with him. This is what's going on. And this is something that kills democracies. There's a reason why George Washington required the entire Continental Army to be vaccinated. They had a different word for it back then, I think it was called variolated. But to be vaccinated against the smallpox. There's a reason why, you know, we require our kids to be vaccinated before they go to school. When you have pandemics, when you have epidemics, when you have public health crises, it's not just a public health crisis. It's also a political crisis, an economic crisis, a societal, a cultural crisis. And the Republicans are doing everything they can. And Republican right-wing media particularly the media owned by these Australian oligarchs doing everything they can to make sure that America does not reach a point of herd immunity so that even fully vaccinated people like, like this Dr. Kerry Alexander in Washington will be at risk. The other thing I wanted to point out to you, and, and then again, I'll pick up your phone calls, is these COVID passports. Denmark has now rolled out officially a COVID-19 passport that you have to have to get into a store, into a supermarket, into a hairdressing salon, into a gym, into a theater. They call it the the Corona Pass. (laughs) One word, C-R-O-N-A-P-A-S. And they've become the first country in Europe to launch it and make it official. Now, Israel's already done this as well. I think we need to be doing this in the United States because right now, Who is fighting for democracy? It's the Biden administration. And the Republican Party is openly fighting for oligarchy, against democracy. And so if Joe Biden can succeed, if he can get this virus under control and thus get the economy going again, then there's a chance that we can see democracy strengthened in the United States. But if he fails, if these Republican efforts to convince people not to get vaccinated so that the virus does not get under control, if he fails in that and thus fails in getting the economy under control, then the Republicans have electoral wins in November of next year and in 2024. And we have a serious problem. Let's see here. Helena in Vancouver, Washington. Hey, Helena, right across the river from me. How are you? What's
3: up? Yes. Uh, Hi, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. I have uh, one very quick suggestion of Mm -hmm. possibly how we can incite people to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And uh, what about if next year there will be announcement that we will start charging for the vaccine? And of course, there could be some exceptions to it. But I know that Democrats were fighting very hard for everybody to get free vaccination, and I think most of people that really want it, they already did, and now we have those who are, you know, anti-vax uh, vaccination. Mm-hmm. So we can use that. We can use that money to vaccinate, you know, either our poor people or our poor nations.
2: Yeah. It depends, I suppose, on which one of the emotions of the anti-vaxxers you want to play on, right? If you want to play on their greed, you would say, hey, the price is going to, you know, there's going to be a price attached to this. It's going to cost you a hundred bucks to get vaccinated a year from now. If you want to play on their racism, you say all the leftover vaccines are going to uh, third world countries filled with dark people. If you want to play on their, uh, you know, on their uh, tribalism, as it were, point out that while a lot of people on the hard right are saying that they don't want to get vaccinated, the majority actually do. You know, it's, I think it's like 44% of Republicans say they're not going to get vaccinated. Well, that means, you know, 56% are saying they will. And so don't you want to be part of the majority? Don't you want to go along with everybody? You know, I, so it's it's like developing strategy here. That's basically what you're talking about, isn't it, Helena? How, how do we reach mm, yeah. these people? I think also fear of dying is a good one the thing that amazes me is that that doesn't get more attention and i think it's because people they don't want to stigmatize people who have had covid but one-third of people who have been hospitalized with covid 90 days after hospitalization are identified with identifiable mental health problems typically these are traumatic you know like post-traumatic stress disorders sleep disorders depression mood swings that have to do with nearly having died. They're they're fairly predictable, but still, a third of people who get this and end up in the hospital have mental dis- have mental challenges, and about yeah. a third of men who get COVID that is symptomatic but not so severe they need to be hospitalized get erectile dysfunction. You know, they they, they you know their penis doesn't work anymore, and so we need to tell them about this, right? It's yes. like, although, tell although, the guys um, who are so fond of their giant guns that, hey, your gun isn't going to work anymore.
3: Yeah, although those who don't believe in vaccine or those who think that we are lying about uh, COVID, they mm-hmm. probably won't believe, you know, the side effects. And I think it's Yeah, well,
2: until it happens in their neighborhood. I mean, this is, this is yeah. the thing. It's starting now to hit rural America in a big way and we're going to see large chunks of rural america that have remained unvaccinated for these reasons uh starting to look like india and it's not going to be pretty when it happens helena thank you for the call you know it's a great conversation to be having that, that helena just kind of kicked off which is what are the best strategies how about getting vaccinated too hey there don't know if you caught this piece in the new york times magazine it was a couple of weekends ago And it was titled YouTube Videos Brainwashed My Father. Can I Reprogram His Feed? It's by uh, Kwame Anthony Apaya and uh, the magazine's ethicist columnist on dealing with a parent radicalized by a recommendation engine, in this case, YouTube. But, you know, there's a recommendation machine uh, out there, uh, Fox News, and it's been a few years. Jen Senko has been on our program, uh, I believe, numerous times. She made this. Brilliant. The director, the writer, and the producer's brilliant documentary, The Brainwashing of My Dad. The website is thebrainwashingofmydad.com. And Jen Senko is Jen underscore Senko, like I'm Tom underscore Hartman, T-H-O-M Hartman. And this documentary of Jen's has now been nominated for Best Video in the Public Service and Activism category for the 25th Annual Webby Awards. This is a big deal the Webby Awards. This is like the internet's highest honor, according to the New York Times. It's presented by the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences. It is just a huge big deal. And on the line with us is that director, writer, producer of The Brainwashing of My Dad, something if you haven't seen, you must see and share with your friends, Jen Senko. Jen, welcome back to the program. Hi, Tom. It's good to be here. Good to see you. Thank you. Back at you. So tell me, how can people, uh, number one, I, I want everybody who, who can possibly do it. We have, what, three days, I guess the, 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 the people's voice voting is open until Thursday of this week, May 6th, We've May got, 6th we have three yeah. days for people who are familiar right. with your movie to try and give it a plug. And my motivation for that isn't just my admiration of you and, you know, like to see people who are doing good, tough work get rewarded for it. But I'm convinced that if, if we can help the brainwashing of my dad, which is such a brilliant documentary, um, of you know how Fox just wiped out your father's brain, basically, and how you got it back. If we can get this movie to win this Webby Award, it will get a lot of publicity for the movie. More people will see it and realize how toxic Fox News is. That's, that's my mo- I'll just put my motivation right out there. So really? as a person who is, you know, I'm, I, I know how to work on the Internet, how to get around on the Internet. How do I vote for the Webby Award for the brainwashing of my dad?
4: Uh, The easiest way may be to go to our um, uh, Twitter page, our Twitter feed, at Brainwashing Dad. And there's a link there that you can click on, which will take you to vote for the Webby's People's Voice Award. So that might be the easiest way to do it, is to just go to the at Brainwashing Dad Twitter feed.
2: Okay, I'm trying that we'll right now as putting we talk. On,
4: on, on, we'll also put a link on the website. I, I don't know if, um, if Patrick did that, my friend Patrick did that or not yet, but um, he's going to put a link on the front page of the webpage, of the uh, website.
2: Okay, I've got it. And let's see, your voice can be heard and vote. This is the, t- the pinned tweet at the top, right? I'm going to yeah. uh, retweet this right now. So yeah. that kind of business out of the way. Tell us about the movie for people who are the, the documentary, for people who are unfamiliar with it. What happened? Why did you produce this thing? And what has happened in the years since it first came out?
4: Well, uh, first of all, I just wanted to say about brainwashing. When I first titled the movie that, I knew that that was what I wanted to title it because that's what it felt like, and I was warned against using that term because it just seemed too radical at the time. But after doing the movie and after doing all my research on the movie and talking to several neuroscientists, I became convinced that, yeah, indeed, my dad was brainwashed. So it's interesting for me to see articles like the one you mentioned, where they are actually using the term brainwashing more.
2: Yeah, and this is the um, New York Times.
4: Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty good. That's a big step. It's taken a long time for mainstream media and uh, journalists to start talking about the, the dangers of right-wing media, such as, as Fox News. I use the word news in air quotes, yeah. but anyway... In the late 80s, my dad retired, and after Reagan vetoed the Fairness Doctrine, my dad discovered Rush Limbaugh on the radio, and, you know, devoid of his friends at work and, you know, male companions, he had Rush Limbaugh, which Rush Limbaugh had the talent of making people feel like you were in his club and you were really special because you got him. So he became addicted to Limbaugh, listening to him for three hours a day, and his personality drastically changed. It was odd. It was really it was like like the pod people movie. Mm-hmm. Um he was angry all the time. He was obsessed with politics. He constantly wanted to argue with us. I know that what I'm saying is very familiar to so many people because it's it's a it's a phenomenon now. It's like I, I call it like an epidemic. And so Anyway, over the years, it became worse and worse, and he would just argue with the whole family, and then um, just to cut to the chase, (laughs) and I don't know if I should reveal the end of the movie, but I'm going to. If you don't want to hear it, put your fingers in your ear. One day, my parents moved to a senior community, and somehow in the move, my dad's radio broke, and... He put it in the garage Intending to fix it But never got around to it So A He was minus Rush Limbaugh So My parents started eating lunch together again My mother wouldn't eat lunch with him before So that changed And he softened a little bit Then another thing happened Because he used to listen to Fox He'd have Fox on And Limbaugh on at the same time And turn Fox down When Limbaugh was on So one day The The TV in the kitchen conked out, too. Everything was old. And my mother got a new TV, and she loves programming the remotes. So they were kind of confusing. She had stickies all over them, like press this and this and this. And he didn't want to bother, so he just watched what she watched. Hmm. Anyway, one day uh, she called me at home and said, you won't believe what Daddy said. He said that he liked Obama. And I said, what? You know, after he had been sending all these emails, Obama's the food stamp president. He's from Kenya. He's mm-hmm. a Muslim. You know, I couldn't believe it. Was it was because he started.
2: He started watching actual. I mean, we just have a minute here until we're going to hit a hard break, channel
4: Oh, sorry. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, and then also he once went into the hospital for a kidney stone, and she asked me to unsubscribe him from a lot of the far-right emails that he got, and she actually mm-hmm. started subscribing him to, like, Alternate and truth Out And very gradually, <laughs> <laughs> he mellowed out. And, you know, I, you I, got your I, dad the final back. interview was, hey, Dad, so where are you at, at, politically? He goes, well, I'm not all Democrat, I'm not all Republican, I'm somewhere in the middle. Well, do you believe in gay marriage? Yeah, sure, they want to do that, yeah. So, um, yeah. and he was happy. He was happy the last yeah. couple years of his life. So that was wonderful. Yeah.
2: It truly is wonderful. And the documentary you made about it was so personal and yet so filled with just compelling detail. It's called The Brainwashing of My Dad. Give me the Twitter handle again, Jen.
4: At Brainwashing Dad.
2: Oh, makes perfect sense. At brainwashing dad, check it out, and you can vote for this. Let's try to let's try to get a Webby award here for this movie because it is really worth it. Jen, thanks so much. It's great seeing you. It's great having Thank you with Tom. us. Thank you. Again. Great
4: seeing you too. Okay, bye. bye
2: This is the yeah. Tom Hartman program. Keep up the great work, Jen Senko. She is uh, she is a champion. Will be. Have you had the experience of a brainwashed parent? What have you done? Has it worked? Experience chef-quality meals every week, delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two ends, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman.
0: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have?
2: The headline over at the New York Times, in South Texas, Hispanic Republicans try to cement the party's gains. Jennifer Medina wrote this article, and I think it's absolutely fascinating. There's one thing that I think she missed that I think is the elephant in the room, pun intended. I'll get to that in just a second. But she's talking about, this New York Times article is talking about how Hispanic women The first sentence, conservative Hispanic leaders, especially women, are ascendant in the Rio Grande Valley, where Republicans are trying to forge lasting bonds with voters who swung sharply to the right in 2020. Hispanic Republicans, I'm quoting from the article, especially women, have become something of political rock stars in South Texas. Here in McAllen, one of the region's largest cities, Mr. Trump received nearly double the number of votes he did just four years earlier. President Biden won by just 15 percentage points, a steep slide from Hillary Clinton's 39 percent point uh, margin in 2016. One of those new rock stars, these Republican uh, Hispanic women, Ms. Pina Garza, the chair of the Hidalgo County Republican Party, grew up the daughter of a Democratic state legislator. And she says... Democrats have veered too far to the left, particularly on issues like abortion. Now, and then here's another one. Hispanic Republicans like her embrace policies, Republican policies, that they view as helping small business owners and supporting their religious beliefs. Now, what would give them that idea that Republicans support small business owners even though Everything the Republicans do is to help huge, giant corporations and crush small businesses. And Democrats have been working on behalf of small businesses for decades. Why? Well, because there's an explosion of Spanish-language right-wing radio in Texas and in Florida. These stations, they're leasing stations, basically renting a station for a year or two. And putting right-wing versions of Rush Limbaugh, excuse me, Spanish-language versions of Rush Limbaugh, on the radio, and it's working for them. Now, that is not that that piece of it, that radio piece of it, is not even mentioned in this article. But I've I've written about this. I can you know there's links in the article that I wrote for the Nation about this. There's a huge network of Spanish-language right-wingers, uh, particularly in Florida, but also in Texas, that are happening all across the country. And then they note, women who staunchly oppose abortion voted for the first time. Wives of Border Patrol agents, these are Hispanic folks, they they make the point that going into law enforcement is a quick ticket into the middle class for Hispanics in, in southern Texas. Wives of Border Patrol agents feel convinced the Trump administration was not firmly on their side. Mothers picked up their enthusiasm for Republicans from friends they knew through church or their children's school. I mean, this is what's happening. Republican outreach to Hispanics is based on, oh, you're Catholic. Let me tell you about abortion. Oh, you know, you're a hardworking, small business person. Let me tell you about how the Republican Party supports individual initiative and low taxes. And what they, you know, there's an asterisk there. Individual initiative is just fancy talk for no social safety net. And in fact, if you had... If we had, you know, national a national health care plan like every other developed country in the world does, it would actually be easier to start a small business. And how, oh, we're keeping taxes low. Well, they're keeping taxes low for the billionaires, so that taxes on small businesses and and the owners of small businesses are high. I mean, that's what's going on. But they don't want you to know about that. Anyhow, let me pick up your phone calls here lee in greenville south carolina says you disagree with me lee so you go to the front of the line you are 100 percent pro fox
5: of course do you think i would be 100 pro cnn since i have weaned from liberalism to absolute conservatism because and and i can give you a lot of reasons first of all we have a non-functioning president he and i are the same age and i could stand up there and talk without that of video and defend myself, and I would take the from the news media, even liberal news media, and I would not be pushing all these liberal programs that are going to keep us horribly in debt forever and ever and ever and accomplish nothing. Have you been to Venezuela? I've been all over the United States, every state, and I've been to more than more countries than states. I've seen liberalism and socialism to the hilt. Socialism doesn't work. And we, our country is in a nosedive to destruction. And why
2: are you... No, I got that? it, Lee. We, we are. You know, 40 years of Reaganism okay. has gutted the middle class and it's destroying America. No, it has I've been a, to Venezuela. A, and I can tell you that what Venezuela... Well, let me talk for a second. I'll let you talk. I'll let you talk again. I've been to Venezuela. I, in fact, I was there the week that there was almost a revolution. And, you know, what Joe Biden is proposing has nothing to do with Venezuela. What he is proposing has much more to do with what Germany and if you have traveled as much as you say you have, I'm assuming that you have traveled across Europe and particularly northern Europe, Norway, Denmark, you know, the Sweden, uh, Germany, France, uh, Italy, Spain, those countries. They they are all taking good care of their people. There is nobody in any through. of those countries who is going bankrupt because somebody got sick. 600,000 people last year in the United States lost their homes and went completely bankrupt because somebody in their family got sick. The number of people in all those countries that I just named who, who lost their homes and went bankrupt because somebody got sick. Zero, zero. No. The number of people who have what? who have student debt in Denmark is zero. You get paid four hundred dollars a month to go to college. Same thing in Germany. In fact, American students are going to Germany <laughs> to, to go to college. I don't get why you are so freaked out, Lee, about the the United States. Are. The the uh, there there are thirty four countries in the Organization for Economic and Co-op, uh, Cooper uh, Development and Cooperation OECD. Thirty four yep, countries all
5: going down together. Thirty.
2: 33 of them offer free health care and free education to everybody in their country and we don't. Hey Pay, why payday, why Sunday would you friend. not want that?
5: in Scandinavia I got friends in Scandinavia and I can give you their names and I'm with them and I have them on my, I have them on my phone their phone numbers and they are scared and they want to get, get rid of their health care.
2: and they don't want their they kids want to go to, get to college rid
5: of socialism socialism. They want to get rid of socialism. So specifically what does that, that mean,
2: worked? Lee? They want do you they want to get so right? rid of their health care?
5: I think they would go for private health care, not have a government broke and not have Okay, so they control. want to go they want to get rid of their so health care. They, do they want to, to get play play rid of free radio. college for their kids? But listen. Why not? Why should everything be given to
2: it? America okay, virtual, built, okay I get it. No, uh, I'm just America trying to I'm just trying to understand Lee. So so also all of your European countries right now are paying people in, in Norway is ninety percent of your salary. In most of the Scandinavian countries it's eighty percent. I believe in France it's eighty percent. I think in the UK it was seventy five percent. Exactly. exactly.
5: Um, I can spend my money better than any of your salary
2: when up. you when your company is wiped out with COVID. We're not doing that in the you United know States. What? We've we passed out two checks. Do you think that we should also, that those countries, do your friends in in Scandinavia, whichever country you're talking about here, do they want to stop taking that money every month that keeps their middle class alive and keeps their economy going?
5: Listen, uh, a lot of people over there, yeah, a lot of people over there would give it up. But let me tell you this, America survived perfectly fine all these years on capitalism without socialism. And we could continue it. We don't, we're America. They are Scandinavia. I don't care what Scandinavia does. I care what America does. And I so, don't Okay, so
2: Lee, let's talk about American time. socialism I then. Lee, I, I'm, I'm left forgive left. my Sorry. interruption, but we have 25 seconds. Let's talk about American socialism. Social security about it? Uh, is, is socialism. I assume you want to get rid of social security.
5: Yes, I, I think we should. It should never have come Okay, I got list.
2: it. Medicare listen, is is well, socialism. I, I assume. Million, public education. Listen, I'm assuming you want to shut down all the public schools in America because that's socialism.
5: Uh, pu- public schools. There, there probably is a, some need for public schools. I went to a public school, and but I but didn't, that's socialism, Lee. What about the, fire departments?
2: Look, should we go back now, to having listen, to pay? You have to pay yeah, your you fire said, department.
0: Don't.
5: That's for the That's socialism. People, not social. Listen, where, I'm, where I live, there's millions the of jobs going begging, and people won't take them because of handout from the government. That's a fact.
2: Okay, well, we can talk about that some other time, Lee. I encourage you to call me back. I would love to have that conversation with you. Thanks for a rational conversation and for not screaming obscenities at me on the air. To the I appreciate Tom Hartman it. Program. I really honor and applaud Lee. It is so often that, you know, if I get in a debate with a conservative, the, their last word is to scream something stupid, but Lee did great. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. And uh, let's see here, Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today?
1: Oh, I want to respond to Mr. Conservative uh, Lee, who doesn't—the the guy who said that he's the same age as Joe Biden and he could stand up there and talk in front of people without that video
2: machine. Okay.
1: Now nah, let's not uh, so, let,
2: let's not do personal attacks here, Paul. Come on.
1: That's okay. Tom. Speak he's to the have issues. To him, <laughs> that's okay for you, but some people just bug me. Okay. So, so the All European right, countries he says are going broke. They're go. The socialist countries are. So what he means is thirty trillion dollars in debt. We're not broke, right? We're not broke with $30 trillion in debt, and we got there by capitalism. We got to $30 trillion, and by the way, the biggest portion of that, $29 trillion of that in the last since Ronald Reagan, who quadrupled, Reagan yeah. Bush quadrupled the national debt, but $30 trillion is okay with Lee. So since it's okay with him, what's his big beef about Joe Biden spending $2 trillion on infrastructure? By the way, when are you going to do that? If we're going to accept the premise that Donald Trump had this raging economy, that should mean that everybody has a few bucks in their pocket, right? And when you get a new job and you have a few bucks in your pocket, what do you do? You you take care of the house. You put a new roof, new gutters, paint the house, right? That's what our family did. Okay, so when Dad got a new job, yeah, we need a new roof. We need new gutters. We need to get paint painted. So if you, if you can't have infrastructure when, you, when your economy's humming, when can you? There's never a good time to talk about spending money for the Republicans, except when they're in office. Donald Trump ran trillion a trillion-dollar-a-year deficit. He put $2 trillion on the on the card for tax cuts for the wealthy and another $3.5 trillion in COVID relief, which was all his fault. So, yeah, that's almost $10 trillion for Donald Trump alone. And if you want to take the $30 trillion, or let's say 29, 60% of that $29 trillion— was on the watch of Republican presidents who mostly had Republican Congresses. So even if you want to equally distribute that out, $18 trillion out of the last 29 was on Republican presidents. Lee, that's your name, Lee. $18 trillion—that's that's your free market capitalism, and we're not going broke. Okay. Yeah. You, I would,
2: and obviously Lee's not here to respond, but what I would say is that to the best of my knowledge, the Scandinavian countries are not going broke. That no, Norway controls one of the largest sovereign wealth funds in the world. They're one of the world's biggest investors. Um, uh, obviously, you know, a lot of that comes from North Shore oil, so we should just you know, acknowledge that. But nonetheless, um, these countries are not going broke. They're doing very well. Their people are very happy and very contented. their political systems are relatively stable. We are I, I'm guessing that Lee would say that you know a lot of our national debt is because of our social programs. Um, you know we can argue that all day long. Um, but um, you know, yeah, okay, point. Made, well, our Paul. social
1: programs, Paul, uh, Tom, that he wants to get rid of, uh, like uh, Social Security and Medicare, those are not entitlements. those are things we pay for. And you know, by the way, Lee, you, you can go ahead and opt out of Medicare at 78, year, 78 years old. You don't have to be in it. You can get out of it if you can find something cheaper at your age. Go right ahead. Be my guest. You don't have to be in Medicare. There,
2: there the you go. Okay. Med- Paul, we never
1: talk about Paul, how China's I, going, broke. We talk about how much money we're borrowing from China. So, you know, there you go. none of it washes it. Just none of it washes It's all the same old dead horse memes from a uh, it's all it's all dead horse memes. I know, and, and, and you know what? Lee
2: said is that he watches Fox News all the time, so it shouldn't surprise us that we're getting the you know recycled Reagan, you know, because that's all it is. Paul, thank you for the call. Cat in Vashon, Washington. Hey, Cat, what's up?
6: Oh, hey, Tom. Well, I'm looking forward to um, seeing Amy Jeffy's movie for sure. I already forgot how you said to vote for it, but
2: oh, you mean Jen Senko? Oh, it's, Jen, are you. It's Why brainwashed. I, Amy Jeff? I don't know. Okay. It's at brainwashedad on Twitter.
6: Okay. And um, my story is the opposite of the parents being brainwashed. I was brainwashed by, well, my mother back in the 50s and 60s. She was all the, well, she would have been on or beyond now, but back in that, in those wow. days, it was... You know, word of mouth, she'd be on the phone for hours. You know, she ran her own little printing press, and there was Joe Pine on the radio and lightning bolt.
2: Oh, I remember Joe Pine. My dad was into Joe Pine. We used to watch Joe Pine together on TV and argue afterwards. Oh, yeah. I mean,
6: to me, it was all the same rhetoric that you're hearing now, the exact same stuff. It, like, hasn't changed, except maybe a few of the people. Oh, yeah? It just gets around so Quickly, I have a whole box of the hate literature and all that because that's how it was done. I mean, you went to your little right-wing bookstore and you picked up a pamphlet and and your local
2: JBS meetings and yeah, the John Birch Society.
6: I mean, I guess it's good that it's just out in the open now because it's finally, after all these years, maybe coming to some kind of at least awareness. I don't know, but it's I think it is crazy
2: to me. As a third of America has been sucked down the rabbit hole, the remaining two-thirds of America is going, oh my God, something's going on here that shouldn't be going on here. And that, I think, is going to slow down that giant sucking sound and hopefully we can recover some people. I have a good friend, in fact, we're going to be talking, uh, I think this Sunday, he lives in Israel now, but he used to be a, a culty programmer, he used to deprogram people out of cults. I will ask him his advice and report back with you uh, next week. The cat, I got to run. Thank you for the call. Uh, It's great to hear from you. Brian in Duval, Washington. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind?
7: Hey, Tom. Hey, I just wanted to make a couple points here and clarify something. Your caller that was uh, the conservative caller that called in here a minute or two ago, he was saying that people don't like to be like the handouts in socialist countries. And I just want to point out that, and I am a rabid fiscal conservative myself. That's how I describe myself. But if he wants to argue about what people do with the taxes, that go back to them in social services, you know how those taxes are doled out and how much of that money is wasted, I'm with them there, but saying that people don't want their handouts from the taxes that they pay in that's just crazy you know we all have to uh, pay for things roads fire
2: yeah, departments, public schools, fire yeah. departments. Social Security, yeah, and that's all social, arguably socialism. I mean, there is a, a confusion of terms here, Brian, because, you know, Karl Marx really invented and promoted the word socialism back in the 1850s, and he used it to describe what he later changed to communism, you know, with him and Engels and the whole Communist Manifesto, which was that the government would not only provide for the needs of society, but would also control the means of production. And so like, you know, when I lived in in Germany, in West Germany, uh, there was an East Germany and I I visited East Germany. I visited the Soviet Union when it was the Soviet Union and the government made the cars, the government made your blue jeans and the cars were crappy and the blue jeans fell apart. And and nobody wants that. And that was going to be my
7: second point. That was going to be my second point because you said
2: uh, Social Security is a socialist
7: program. And I thought that the very foundation of socialism was that the government controlled the means of production. So how is it that social security is a socialist program if our government doesn't well it depends it depends on whether you're
2: using the eighteen sixty definitions or the nineteen sixty definitions. I mean, you know, I, I think in his mind, all those northern European countries that call themselves social democracies or refer right. to what their their form of government is democratic socialism. But they do not the call different. themselves communist. Yeah. What? what yeah. Right. What? What? what the mean, controlling the means of supply and production. That's communism, and that clearly doesn't work, or at least it's never been but demonstrated to work anywhere in the world.
7: the original definition.
2: You're right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, people pull that out of the hat and, and quote Marx at me, and I'm like, you know, yeah, okay. You want to argue in 1850, 1860, cool. Read the correspondences between Karl Marx and Abraham Lincoln. Seriously. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations on multiple systems on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. John in Seattle. Hey, John, what's on your mind?
8: Uh, Tom, uh, thanks. I uh, I share folks' concerns about their right-wing propaganda, but I was thinking last night that I have not been as optimistic um, about democracy in the U.S. Um, since Robert Kennedy uh, was killed, and I can explain why, or just uh, just ask you for your uh, your reaction. But the, but I'm basically uh, the Bernie. Go for it. Bernie and the, the Democratic Socialists have brought back what uh, the folk singer John Stewart, who, 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 who accompanied uh, Bobby Kennedy on tour, called The Last Campaign, because Bobby Kennedy was the last politician um, who really recognized the, the two Americas and wanted to do something about it. So that's, yeah. that, but, and, and, I, and I was thinking, thinking that last night, listening to a John Stewart song, and saying, my God, um, Bernie and AOC and the Democratic Socialists have brought back the last campaign, and theirs is the campaign now. So yeah. those are my There thoughts. are two schools That's of thought, thought about reaction.
2: that, John. Yeah, there, there's two schools of thought on that. And I'm, uh, I'm you know, I, I think they're probably both right. I just don't know which is, you know, if it's 70-30 or 50-50 or what. One school of thought is that... Um, uh, Politics, particularly the economic side of politics, but political policy tends to go in 40 to 50-year cycles. Countries swing to the right for 40 or 50 years, and then they swing to the left for 40 or 50 years. And whoever happens to be in charge at the moment of that swing or just before that swing is the person who typically gets credit for it, whether it's FDR or Ronald Reagan or you know Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. Um, uh, so there's that one theory. The other theory is that you know it does sometimes, independent of any kind of cycles that you may have, it does take a person who is charismatic and energetic and personally powerful and I don't mean like in the Donald Trump power sense but you know has the ability to project confidence and power what FDR had what LBJ had what we're discovering Joe Biden has and frankly I never in my wildest dreams thought and you know which is sometimes referred to as the great man theory of history that, you know, had Napoleon never lived, had Hitler never lived, had, had uh, you know, fill in the blank, had Mahatma Gandhi never lived, you know, had, uh, well, we could go through a long list, but that things would have been very, very different. And I really think there's something to be said for the times changing. You know, it took about 40, 50 years for us to realize that Reaganism was a scam. But I also think that had Bernie not been there banging that drum for years and years and years on this show and every other venue he could find, that we would not be where we are right now and i think he deserves an enormous amount of credit for where we're at yeah and just
8: one other thought i've noticed in the shots of biden in the white house i think he has a bust of of robert kennedy on the Mm -hmm. on the shelf behind him and biden is definitely a politician but he's been around a long time and i can understand that bobby kennedy might be a hero of his and and what he really wants to do is reunite the, the both sides of the Democratic Party and move on yeah. with progressive ideas.
2: Yeah, and so I think he's doing it. Thanks. I think he's doing it. Thank you, John. The challenge is going to sure, be, thanks. frankly, the challenge is going to be Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, <laughs> you know, step by step. John, thank you. Today we're reading from DeRay McKesson's new book, On the Other Side of Freedom, The Case for Hope, which is nice. It opens with a quote from James Baldwin, the impossible is the least that one can demand. Daria McKesson writes, I learned hope the hard way. It was a hot day in St. Louis County in September 2014, and I'd spent the majority of the afternoon sitting on the floor of the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department headquarters. At nine o'clock in the morning, 20 of us had filed in and plopped down in four rows in the center of the station. The police began to gather around us as hundreds of our fellow protesters turned the corner and were now standing outside the building demanding to get in. When it looked like the officers might forcibly remove us, everyone began to link arms, everyone but me. It was my role to record and interpret as much as possible everywhere we protested so that we could consistently tell the truth to the outside world. I sat in the front of our stacked rows, unlinked. I was trying to capture as much as I could on my phone and tweet about it in real time. I wanted to be able to tell the story of the only successful sit-in of a police department since the protest began. We were repeatedly told to move and we refused. It wasn't long before the officer's growing impatience turned to action. I heard the screaming before I realized that we'd been completely surrounded. It all happened so fast. I looked over and saw a mother trying to stop an officer from driving his thumb into the pressure point behind her daughter's ear. And when I looked up, there was an officer standing directly over me. She told us that we needed to leave immediately. Again, we refused to move. And then she rested her hand on her taser. I'll never forget how time stopped as I watched her move her hand from her taser to her gun, almost like it happened in slow motion. Suddenly, I was on my back, gliding across the industrial floor, as an officer dragged me to the entrance of the building by my ankles. Why are you doing this? I asked, as a second officer twisted my arm behind my back his face fell flat, like he snapped out of the hostility. And instead of a verbal reply, he just let my arm go, picked me up, and pushed me out the door. It was one of two moments of late when death has felt near. And when death is near, so too is the question of, how? How did I get myself into this situation? Should I have made a different choice? I live off the beaten path in Baltimore City, in a house that people don't wander to, if you come to the house, you have made the decision to be at the house. I've been using ride-sharing apps since I totaled my car in the protest of 2014, and I was using one on this day. I saw the car in the driveway, and I paused. But I was already home, so I felt like I had to get out of the car. And when I got out, the driver in the other car got out too. And in that moment, the calmness came over me like it did in the St. Louis Police Metro Police Department. I've received many death threats over the years. The FBI has visited my house. Cities have hired surveillance companies that have deemed me a serious threat. And a movie theater was evacuated because I received a threat that I'd be shot during a screening. But none of those things shook me like that day when the car was in front of the house after work. The driver walked toward me and I just stood still. I can't even say that I was afraid in that moment. I was still and focused, a stillness and focus that I've only known a few times. I followed his hands and body with my eyes waiting ready, anxious. He reached out his hand and gave me a packet of papers. I looked down and realized that I'd just been served with a lawsuit. I was sued personally by five police officers, three in Dallas and two from Baton Rouge. I hadn't been physically served in any of the lawsuits except this one on the day the guy showed up in my driveway. After he handed me the papers, he asked to take a photo, and with that he was on his way. These moments forced me to think about the why of this work the fundamental question of whether it is worth the costs. We all know the risks of protesting, and we choose to meet them head on. There are so many times in the early months that I was met with an almost paralyzing fear, but as I watched the officer in the police station, I realized that for what felt like the first time, I wasn't afraid. It was in losing the fear of death that I began to understand faith and hope. Faith is the belief that certain outcomes will happen, and hope is the belief that certain outcomes can happen. So when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice, he is speaking from a place of faith. He's confident that justice is inevitable, even if it may come in another lifetime. Faith is often rooted in the belief in a higher power in God. Hope, on the other hand, would mean reframing the statement to say the arc of the moral universe is long and it will bend toward justice if we bend it. Faith is rooted in certainty. Hope is rooted in possibility. And they both require their own different types of work. The work of faith is to actively surrender to forces unseen, to actively acknowledge that what is desired may come about, but by means you will never know. And that is difficult. That faith is rooted in certainty does not mean that it never wavers. Indeed, it is not a static belief, but one based on trust. And one's trust is not easily conferred Hope is the belief that our tomorrows can be better than our today's. Hope is not magic. Hope is work. I am not certain that a new world, one of equity and justice, will emerge. But I am certain that it can emerge. I've heard people speak of hope in rather different ways. The first is with statements like, I hope that we win, or I hope my loved one diagnosed with incurable cancer will somehow make it. The book, On the Other Side of Freedom, The Case for Hope, by A. McKesson. And welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. And uh, let's see here, Ron in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Hey, Ron, what's on your mind? Tom, talking about socialism or
1: communism not working. It works pretty good in war. You know, there's a country called the Democratic Republic of Vietnam, and it kicked our ass, threw us out of Vietnam. Of course, the United States will, will say, you know, we never lost a battle, but we did get kicked out of Vietnam, and righteously so. I'm a Vietnam veteran myself all right you i think there's a bigger the lesson
2: here about vietnam ron than socialism and that is that every country every country in the world resents occupation and that's what the war in vietnam had become was or was in the process of becoming was basically occupation we had put in our own puppet government in South Vietnam, and the Vietnamese people were were opposed to that. It's what's happening in Iraq, it's what's happening in Afghanistan. You know, it's what happened here on the North American continent in 1776. But, you know, if you want the most socialist institution in America right now, it's the U.S. Army. They pay for your healthcare, they pay for your food, they pay for your clothing, they pay for your housing. It is the single most socialist institution in the United States is our military. Back to you, Ron. And also the, the socialist system of
1: the Veterans Administration, which the uh, Republicans are, are trying to dismantle. But one more point, if I may. In World War II, mm. for every ten Nazis killed, the Soviet Republic killed at least seven of those soldiers. So we had a little easier time when we hit the beaches of Salerno and Europe, okay? So socialism oh, yeah. and yeah, we just,
2: we- sometimes it works. And, and like you said, Tom, our military kind of really went socialist in World War II. Well, our military has been socialist from the very beginning. It's how it has to be. It's entirely funded by the government, you know, by our society, and thus a socialist institution, but spot on. Ron, thank you for the call. Margie in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Hey, Margie, what's up?
9: Hey, Tom. I just wanted to let you know that the right-wing media is infiltrating other parts of the media besides just... The crazies. I come to this, as you might remember, I'm a truck driver. There is a mm-hmm. truck driving channel on Sirius satellite radio. A person mm-hmm. used to have a two-hour radio show one day on the weekend to discuss the business of trucking that was geared to owner-operators. That person was giving a three-hour-a-day, five-day-a-week radio show. Apparently he obviously learned that he could not fill that amount of time just talking about the business of trucking and has gone off into wignut cookie land. The reason I know well, this so is a hear. friend of mine is a truck driver, used to be an owner op, was spewing conspiracy theory after con- I mean, just and this is a part yeah, of to there. Have a brain. And then right. Margie, and I here's 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 where it gets worse. I was at a truck stop okay. having dinner and this is where I put two and two together. Another person who listened to that show started spewing word for word.
2: Right. Right. It's a, it's a tough one and not- and I got to tell you Margie, I am on, you know, I mean you're listening to me right now on SiriusXM. We're on the Progress channel and I really am very reluctant to discuss how any of my the radio stations that I'm on program their radio stations. I mean that's that's their business and that's what they do. But I think your larger point that, you know, right-wing conspiracy nut stuff is starting to bleed into all kinds of media and all kinds of areas. And, you know, this started in a big way that a lot of people didn't even notice with things like Facebook, you know, 10 years ago, eight, 10 years ago. And now it's ubiquitous. It's all over the place. But Margie, thank you for the call and for the heads up on that. Alejandro in Miami. Hey, Alejandro, what's up?
1: Unfortunately, yes, it's Republicans and anti-vaxxers you know, I guess anti going to be a, of different political persuasions. But yes, I think a lot of them are tending to be Republicans. Now, I just think that it's a lot of selfish people who hide behind freedom and liberties to justify their selfishness. I think they have some kind of you know, psychological problem. I, I would like for you to bring a psychologist on the show
7: to analyze.
2: Or their fear. I think I think a lot of these people have been frightened by YouTube videos and, and phony hustlers who are telling them that the vaccine is going to make them sick. I mean, there were early stories back with polio way back, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Where, well, even today, I suppose, a very, very tiny percentage of people, you know, you vaccinate kids with polio and they, they pass that virus, you know, through their system. And so they were saying that that's going on with the COVID vaccines. It's not. Uh, it's pretty much not going on with the polio vaccines either. But, I mean, they're afraid. They're afraid. Alejandro, i got to run. I'm sorry. It's the end of the show. Thanks so much for the call, though. It's, it's always nice to hear from you. Wow, there's just so much going on. It's like the world is just... Joe Biden gave a great speech. We'll get into that tomorrow along with, you know, whatever new amazing stuff we can come up with. In the meantime, don't forget, as Bernie likes to say, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you. We'll see you tomorrow.
8: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.